0: all right guys i have the host of cosmic peach podcast here this is julia we've become uh, pretty good friends in this whole podcasting thing talked uh have you been on monday night master debaters with us twice okay so we did that i know that we've done ghost show as well mm-hmm. um his talk at the tavern which is another another good little round table that we do well, we've talked like many, many times, and uh, I actually just got to go on to your show, and we talked a little bit about like Royal Bloodlines. I think we talked about Lucius Trust a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like one of those, you know, fun, fun, kind of like chill, conversational episodes. And I want to do the same thing here, because you just did some really cool work talking about Laurel Canyon and this cultural creation wave that was going on in the 60s, right? A lot of people call it the counterculture, but seems like the CIA was involved. It seemed like there's a lot of like ex-military or current military people involved. And uh, I mean, this is kind of like a deep, deeply woven conspiracy, it seems. So I'm interested to see what you have. And uh, I'm hoping that people will go and listen to your show. So plug real quick up front here where people can find you. And then uh, obviously we'll do it again at the end because people forget my, my audience is smart, but they're not the smartest. So, you know, let's, uh, let's plug a couple times. Cause you do have a great show and I hope that people will, will check it out.
1: Thanks Ryan. I am thrilled actually to talk about this with you. Um, and you can always find cosmic peach podcast on Apple and Spotify, um, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcast, it's cosmic peach podcast and i'm on instagram of course cosmic.peach.podcast and you can just hit me up if you want to come on or something i've actually found a lot of really cool guests that way
0: yeah that's awesome dope well i mean where do you want to start where do you think that we start with this whole thing because obviously this is going on in the 60s am i right to say that or does it start really in the 50s
1: so it does start around 1964 but the thing about it is I feel like everything that happened in the early to late sixties that went into the seventies, um, it kind of set up the empire that we know today because before then, if you, if you really think about it, what was going on in the fifties was like doo wop and some really innocent kind of music, like Buddy Holly, even though he was rock and roll, he wasn't sex drugs and rock and roll. He was still like a nerdy boy. Um,
0: Elvis too, right?
1: Yeah, like they were doing like, you know, Puppy Loves kind of stuff. But then it's like 1964 hit and everything just kind of flipped over. And it was like people in the music scene actually said, where did these hippies come from? Like they were Mm -hmm. so confused why it went to like this folksy kind of weird music scene. Well, I got to ask
0: you a question about that real quick, because do you think that that, you know, the the listeners or the consumers are partially guilty or do you think that this is 100% contrived? Because even with Elvis, you know, teenagers in the 50s were being told not to listen to this because it would make their hips shake weird, you know, and it's like it's like spirits are coming over these people just by listening to what we would call today wholesome music, the good old days, but these these people that are progressing culture forward or you know maybe they're moving it backwards who knows um they always seem to get scrutinized for their time they're always called satanic or evil or a negative influence do you think the consumers are partially responsible for creating this counterculture wave of the 60s
1: i don't only because i feel like these artists even elvis and The military, the CIA, the people behind them, they're playing on the same team. And essentially what they did was set up a movement that could be easily controlled and led astray. And they would get a lot of backlash so they could have like street cred. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. look, we're fighting the man, we're fighting the establishment. But really, they were playing on the same team. And (laughs) they weren't really revolting against the system because their parents were part of the system Mm. and they very openly would say like, we don't like the hippie movement. We hate the counterculture. We are supporting the South. Um, You know, what was going on in like Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia, they were like, we're all for it. So what kind of counterculture are you if you're supporting (laughs) You know what I'm saying? like.
0: Well, look what's going on today with these same people, right? Like, uh, who was the one that canceled out of Spotify when Joe Rogan was going, supposedly going against the man? And like, there's, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's multiple artists that are like pulling out. And you'd think, you know, these people would be like, yeah, the government's trying to force things on us. Fuck that. But that's not the case there. So it seems like when it's really counting these old people that were part of that counterculture, are now fully on board. And obviously they're a little bit after this, but still it's just like, it's the same concept.
1: Well, and it's odd because Neil Young of all people used to sing the praises of Charlie Manson. They were BFFs. Wow. And actually the beach boy, Dennis Wilson had Charlie Manson and the Manson family live with him. And he would record private sessions of Charles Manson and he would invite people like Neil Young to come over, and basically they were in awe of him, like he was like Manson. a Manson type. Yeah, they were in awe of him.
0: So when you say they're BFFs, it wasn't like just like uh Neil was was a fanboy; they were actually hanging out,
1: and they lived together. Like they all would live for a time at whoever's house. So it went from they were all staying at Frank Zappa's log cabin and that was the hangout. And then they all moved in with Dennis, uh, Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys and they were hanging out there and living with him. And after the Manson family moved out of his house, basically Dennis Wilson was like, I don't know why he did what he did. Like, you know, I barely remember the time we spent together. It's such a fog. And then years later he was like, actually, I do remember a little something Mm. about it. And I'll write a book about it. I'll tell the world why I think Charles Manson did what he did. And right before the book was supposed to be written, he turned up dead and under suspicious circumstances drowned in the marina where his boat was docked. So it's like you can never really come out and say what was going on back then, but you can infer from what we know now that this was all a setup
0: it's like hanging out with the Clintons if you're just like turning up dead like that that's wild and was 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 he was Neil uh like scrutinized or anything once this stuff was going on or was this before because I don't know much about his music to be honest but was this before was did anyone give him shit about like hanging out with Charles Manson
1: I think they kind of chalked it up to like well, we didn't know what he was up to. We didn't know what kind of person he was back then. Oh, of course. Okay. Right. Um, even though they were all notoriously involved in like, well, they were flirting with like Luciferianism, Satanism. They were all like buddies with uh, Kenneth Anger. And who's that? Obviously... So he, he was like the director that did um, like the invocation of my demon brother movie in like all these weird occulted movies and so they were involved in that and um what's funny about that is kenneth anger went to mick jagger of the rolling stones and wanted to solicit a soundtrack for the movie from him okay but he was like okay no 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 i don't want it from you i want it from jimmy page and Jimmy Page is like the most notorious collector of Aleister Crowley memorabilia, like the biggest collector. He even owned for a time Crowley's uh, Bolusky estate in in uh, Scotland's Loch Ness, and he was and- like, "No, I don't want it from you either." Remind like, me who
0: Jimmy Page is, real quick.
1: Jimmy Page is from uh, Led Zeppelin.
0: Okay. okay
1: (laughs) um so but anyways like yeah he um he wanted the soundtrack from him and he was like no I don't want it from you either I want the soundtrack written composed and recorded inside of a prison cell by Robert Beausoleil of the Manson family
0: (laughs) was he just one of these buddies he wasn't necessarily like a musician or or
1: no just some if,
0: dude that was hanging out doing drugs with them part of these mk ultra rituals things
1: so and and uh robert beausoleil is the one responsible for a lot of the carnage that took place with the manson murders wow and so, so that, he,
0: with tate with like sharon tate and all them like yes. or it's like he was actually present there yes so mm-hmm. is he the guy portrayed in that once upon a time in hollywood movie the guy that's at the house of- i actually
1: have not watched that
0: yet. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: I have not.
0: It's actually really good. My girlfriend showed me that movie, and it's fucking phenomenal. Like,
1: I I really do want to watch it, but um, I don't know. I w- I was thinking um, I would get around to, it and it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, I'll watch it next week, next week, and then I just never did.
0: Oh, you ought to take some time for sure and watch it. I mean, it's it's good. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie too, but yeah, no. Oh yeah, good.
1: it's gonna be great. So. I mean, apart from that, there is a lot of other weird stuff. And I wanted to tell you about one thing in particular that I thought you would find interesting, okay. which is like a lot of these musicians found themselves best friends with the actors of the time. So there was like this bond of love, if you can call it that. And they wanted to be creative with each other and make movies and do all this stuff. So. A lot of the people that they would hang out with, like Peter Fonda and Warren Beatty and Roman Polanski, they all bought houses next to these musicians and they would have like wild parties, quote unquote, and we can assume what they were doing. At Swinger these
0: parties bars. and stuff.
1: Right. Um, and they passed around John Phillips' wife to just about every swinging dick in the canyon including Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, Warren Beatty, Roman Polanski, and Gene Clark of the birds. Everybody took a turn with this woman. <laughs> and so it's just funny because, um, you know, like Jack Nicholson to this day still lives there. Wow. So he's still involved in the scene. And one of the most critically acclaimed movies that came out during this period was easy rider i don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever heard of it
0: yeah jack nicholson's in that isn't he
1: right yeah so he's in easy rider and the director is this guy named jeremy k okay and he actually you know he did a lot of weird movies like scorpio rising and like angels from hell and all these weird movies okay but um He was a member of the Solar Lodge of the Ordo Templi Orientis.
0: Okay, okay. The Solar Lodge, too. Okay, I like that. That's interesting. And so an easy rider, if I'm not mistaken, because I don't think I've seen it, but I know the plot. It's basically like they're riding through the desert, pretty much, on a motorcycle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just really weird, like like a spiritual journey almost. But it's kind of like there's got a, a lot of occult undertones to it.
1: Right. Yes. And in true um, occulted ritual fashion, two weeks after Easy Rider premiered, police acted on this phone tip and they raided the solar lodge of the Ordo Templi Orientis and they found a six year old little boy locked in a six by six wooden crate in the sweltering desert heat and he had been in there for 2 months and he had been beaten with bamboo poles and burnt with matches given LSD and there was nothing in the box other than a tin can for him to go to the bathroom in
0: so were they feeding him or giving him I mean obviously they were giving him something
1: they... right so they would what come the and fun? like feed him and keep him alive for the torture and so What ended up happening is literally two weeks after Easy Rider premieres, the same lodge that the director was a part of gets raided and they find a little boy being tortured to death.
0: Was there any arrest for that?
1: Yes, they were arrested and convicted. But as it turns out, like during this whole time frame, uh, the Barker Ranch hideout for the Mansons also got raided. And it happened to be on October twelfth, which is uh Aleister Crowley's birthday. <laughs> so it's just a lot of weird stuff in that. Fuck. Yeah.
0: That I can't get past that. That boy being so. And you said it was underground, basically, like in a like a, the way that I think of it. Is, I don't know if you've seen Django and Chain, but like one of those sweat yeah. chambers.
1: Yeah, like a like a sweat box.
0: Wow. Wow. And so who was arrested? Was he arrested? The the director? He no? was
1: not arrested, but I think the majority of them, it was actually 11 adult members who were all young white men in their early twenties and they were all brought to trial and convicted. Um,
0: okay. So what do you think goes on? Why do you think they do that? Honestly? I mean, we can say all this like fantastical stuff, Adrena Crom, all this shit. Why do you think they would keep a child underground for two months? Um, and I and I'm interested also to see how they came to that number. Uh, yeah, how how would they know he was there for two months? Um, do you think that it's like to to I- invoke this energy or maybe evoke this energy of this kid suffering so that the movie has success or what? I mean it, that doesn't really make sense to me, but I believe it for sure
1: yeah so i guess georgina brayton who was the leader of the cult came out and admitted all of this okay and so i think in true you know conspiracy theory style that they need the energy for their success with their endeavors
0: so do you think it had something to do with the movie or the actor's trajectory trajectory sorry i'm like stuttering here
1: no, it's okay. <laughs> it's
0: wild to think. It's fucking me up right now, because that's weird, because Jack Nicholson's kind of beloved, right? By a lot of people. So I don't think he had anything to do with it, as as far as we could say. But I mean, he's it seems like he probably knew.
1: Though. I don't do you know very much about him?
0: Well, I mean, I know that he's always in some very interesting movies, and I think I mean I haven't looked into him, but I just find it I'm trying to figure out what the purpose of putting this kid through suffering because i do believe there's a ritualistic component to it obviously if it's the otl but what was the purpose i guess and i don't want to spend too long on it but i just find that fascinating
1: no i did too and the thing about it is not a lot is said about the boy other than his mother actually condoned this being him. she actually gave him up for sacrifice and <laughs> the thing about it is And I was, um, I put this in part two of my episode. It's not out yet, but I'll, you know, what I want to show the listeners tonight is that this is all connected with these families that are part of the counterculture movement. Because not only was the director a member of this lodge, but the boy was actually the brother of Michelle Phillips, who went on to marry John Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas. So her brother
0: wow that's fucking weird (laughs) that is fucking weird
1: so that's just a little some a special treat for your listeners because i haven't released that in part two yet but you asked about it and i wanted to go ahead and give you what the connection
0: was wow well thank you yeah i'll i'll wait i mean this your your part two will be out before this i'll make sure then because that is mind-blowing
1: yeah yeah, it was Michelle Phillips' brother and mother who offered him up for sacrifice.
0: Okay, yeah. It makes sense, I guess. I mean, yeah. it, it's they call it Holly weird for a reason, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're going to wait, actually, until part two comes out for this to come out, I do want to also mention that Michelle Phillips was involved with this girl. Her name was Tamar Hodel. And her father was known as like the most like pathologically decadent man of Los Angeles. And he would throw wild parties that always keeps coming up, these wild parties. And he was the city's venereal disease czar and was also super rich and very like he did not care what anybody thought about him. And he embraced that all purpose Luciferian creed do what thou wilt and he was very open about that okay and he was living in the area with his daughter tamar in like this huge estate with like subterranean walk-in vaults and all this weird stuff and tamar came out and said that she was groomed as a child and that she was you know having sex with her dad and all this incestuous stuff and um, he would always pass Tamar around to his friends and one of them was John Houston who was the director and the other guy was a guy named Man Ray who was a photographer and she said those two names specifically that he would pass her around to these guys at the parties and um, what's funny about that is she actually ended up getting pregnant by her father to her horror and to her even greater horror, her father wanted her to have his baby and she freaked the fuck out and she went and got an abortion. And when she told her father, George Hodel, that she got an abortion, he freaked out and he busted her over the side of the head with his pistol, started beating on her, all this stuff. And so he ended up in court behind it. So she pressed charges. He goes to this, you know, court trial for incest and, you know, domestic violence, all of this in the 1950s. Actually, I think it was the 40s. But anyways, during this trial, not only was he you know, being convicted, he was was acquitted, actually. You know, business as usual for them, of course. Like, he was acquitted. But during this trial, he was also the prime suspect in the Black Dahlia murder.
0: What? So all, holy shit. Okay. That's fucking nuts. Where did you go to find all this stuff?
1: So I read that book scenes from the canyon by david mcgowan and then i expanded it with my own research because a lot has changed since he wrote that book but it's great bones to start an investigation i'll tell you that much right now
0: well yeah this is definitely an investigation i mean i'm impressed so far this is definitely very very interesting there's a lot of dots getting connected
1: so that girl that was involved with her father, George Hodel, and they were, you know, incestuous, and he was open about do that wilt and all of that. And he was a prime suspect in the Black Dahlia murder, and he obviously had accomplices. So, he's a doctor. He has access to all of this because the Black Dahlia murder victim, Elizabeth Short, was, like, sliced cleanly in half. mm mm-hmm. And she was completely sanitized and completely drained of blood.
0: Yeah, it was definitely, they were saying it was some sort of ritualistic thing. Wasn't she missing a tongue or am I thinking of someone else?
1: Her tits.
0: Oh, her boobs were cut off?
1: Yeah. So she was ritualistically butchered is what happened to her. But what they ended up connecting the dots was that George Hodel's best friend, this photographer guy named Man Ray... He posed her body in the exact formation that he had posed someone else's body for a photograph. And he named that photograph the Minotaur. And it's creepy as fuck. If you go look up the Minotaur. Yeah. And you compare it to the way Elizabeth Short's body was posed. It's almost identical.
0: Because isn't a Minotaur, it's like a half uh, bull and half man or or is that? Is well, that the man. Minotaur
1: is, yes, but this photograph he liked to just photograph like pieces of the body, so he would just randomly photograph a torso, a leg, an arm, and so this minotaur photograph is a torso with the arms up like this, just like Elizabeth' short, and it's so what here- could i
0: what could I look up real quick just to try and see this like Minotaur Elizabeth short
1: so you would look up, man. Ray is the name of the photographer, and the photograph is called the Minotaur.
0: M A N N.
1: M-A-N, just like man.
0: And then Ray, how do you spell that? R-E-Y? R-A-Y?
1: R A Y, yes.
0: Okay, Min. Okay, it pops right up on Duck Duck Go for anyone that wants to look at this, and I'll share my screen with you so maybe you can point out what we're talking about here. Yeah, no, um I'm gonna share this with you right now because yeah, this is um definitely interesting. Okay, so which one are we talking about here?
1: Okay, right in the very center. Do you see this? This one? Yes. Do you see the torso and the arms? Yeah. Okay, if you could take like a screen capture of that and then compare it to how Elizabeth Short's body was posed, if you can find a crime scene photo, which I'm sure it's available.
0: Okay. Okay, well, I'll look for that at a separate time, but yeah. So if anyone wants I to do that.
1: Ryan, you will get the creeps like you would not fucking believe looking at those pictures side by side.
0: And so this was a, a previously popularized photo of his?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is why I think it popped up so quickly when you put in his name.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Photos, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Well, you can kind of see in that one, but not really how her torso oh, right and her here. arms are posed. You're
0: talking like yeah. that?
1: There she goes, right there, with her arms exactly posed, the torso mm. cut right where the photo ends.
0: Yeah, that's weird. And so is this like ushering in some kind of era or, I mean, there's got to be some sort of ritual component as to, Oh, this one. I see what you're talking yes. about. Yes. Do here. you okay. see it? Yeah.
1: See it how they posed her just like the Minotaur.
0: Oh man. Okay.
1: And it's crazy. Got, Cause
0: I've, got I've got seen the these
1: right where the photo ends.
0: Yeah. It's weird. I've seen these pictures before, but I, I hadn't, you don't think about this stuff. And I wonder if there's some sort of like, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but like black magic or something that goes on to where like this gets like put in your, in your, in your conscious, and then you forget about it. And it's just always there because I remembered it as soon as I saw that I would definitely seen that picture before. But yeah, there's not many good pictures online.
1: I actually had to go to a separate website other than like Google images to find really good crime scene photos of the Black Dahlia murders. I don't know if they just don't want to, you know, because they're so graphic, obviously they're, you know, someone's been butchered, but there's a close up of the torso and like the, the chest and the arms. And it's it's really really creepy. They did cut a smile into her face as well.
0: Yeah, from ear to ear to ear, basically, yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: But okay. um I will say to further this connection with Tamar and George Hodel with the counterculture movement of the 60s, Tamar was Michelle Phillips' best friend. And she Michelle Phillips considered Tamar a mother figure they spent a ton of time together and um i i just find that odd because michelle phillips went on to marry john phillips who also committed incest with his daughter
0: wow okay huh <laughs> it's a fucking <laughs> weird cult that's all that they are Yes. And for some reason they have the power to create good music and influence pop culture. And then they're, they're weird ass shit. You know, like, like that idea art imitates life. And if these sick people are the ones that are making the art, you know, life also imitates art. So like we're going to like subconsciously pick up on this stuff that these weird fucking people are, are subliminally putting in their own art. Right. Cause obviously n- none of these people make their own movies or their songs by themselves there's mega right. companies behind this stuff. So, yeah. I do
1: want to talk to you a little bit about um you know, I don't want to I don't want to um leave this out because I feel like you of all people will appreciate this. Okay. So, I tried to figure out how maybe the Rothschild family could be connected to the counterculture movement of the 60s.
0: Well, that's interesting because I always think that the Rockefellers are, but you found a a way that the Rothschilds are.
1: The Rothschilds are connected uh, via um, John Phillips' producer. (laughs) His name was Peter Rothschild. And um, I also connected very specifically the Rockefeller clan. Yeah, for sure. Right. So there's this guy who was like the father figure of the movement. His name is Vito Polygus. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was really undercover, but he backed like Frank Zappa and influenced him. And Frank Zappa said he was like, you know, the father figure of the canyon pretty much.
0: So when you say he was undercover, what did he portray himself as to the public? And then what, what was he actually?
1: He was an artist. at least that's what he claimed he was an artist um but there's scant evidence to be found that would back that up whatsoever
0: i've found too and i wonder if you've looked into this much when people say that they're artists that's it's almost it's like a subliminal way of saying that they're into some occult shit because i mean you look at like uh, they call burning man um an artist festival and like you know uh art in delaware where biden grew up was an artist community but then you look into this stuff and there's really like satanic undertones to all this stuff. Marina Abramovich says she does art, but it seems like she's doing satanic rituals, right? So it seems like maybe when they say an an artist, I think that's kind of like a wink to It's
1: a code word.
0: Well, sure, because what do they call musicians? They call them artists, right?
1: Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's uh it's like a catch-all for <laughs> the weird shit that they get up to it's like i'm an artist it's almost like
0: a magician or a wizard or something is really what they're saying or sorcerer
1: exactly and so that's basically what this dude vetoed poly because he said i'm an artist but there's you know like i said there's nothing to prove that he was an artist but he was involved in the scene and so What's weird about it is everybody used to say how great he was, but his two-year-old son actually ended up dying tragically, and what they said about it afterwards is that Vito actually gave the boy LSD, put him on top of the roof of his house, and he fell through the skylight to his death, but also, just as a side job, Vito Was into, you know, do what that will and would pass this little boy around at house parties. A lot of people came out and said that they would do oral sex on this two year old little boy, that it was completely normal for them. And this is just like business as usual, right? So after his son dies, he, you know, vacates the country and he goes to Jamaica. And nobody ever sees him again, but he did have a new baby daughter who he named Groovy nipple and if you think i'm fucking kidding you i'm not her name was groovy nipple and he fled the country with his wife and his new baby daughter groovy nipple and nobody saw them for a while okay
0: i i don't mean to laugh this would be funny if it wasn't real i mean like
1: it's it's very much real but so what how how is this connected so charles manson came To Laurel Canyon in search of Vito Polykus. But by the time he got there, Vito had already fled the country. But he later resurfaced in California like years and years later, right? But so there's another layer to this Vito guy because (laughs) it turns out that there was this Time Magazine article that came out In February 1948, and it was entitled The Bride Wore Pink. And it was this journalist from Florida. He wrote for like the Okeechobee News or whatever. And he said one day he was in the courthouse and he stopped by to jot down the marriage licenses that were posted. And by Florida law, they have to be posted for three days before anybody gets married. And he was... Absolutely flabbergasted because he saw one of the marriage licenses was John D. Rockefeller's fifth son, um, and this lady named Eva Spears had. Oh. Do you know Eva Spears?
0: No, but I'm just gonna see where you're gonna go with this. It's not related to Britney Spears, right? Or like anything no, like
1: that. No, no. Okay, okay. Okay, so he that'd had... be too much.
0: That'd be too much, Jen. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: So he had made um, his intentions clear that uh, Winthrop Rockefeller 35 of New York was going to marry one Eva Spears also of New York. And so this this guy came out and he was like, well, who's this mystery woman, right? Like who in the world is Eva Spears? And he was like, I think she might be part of this um, fine old Philadelphia Pauls uh in in a society girl of like impeccable pedigree and that's how she was able to get into the Rockefeller clan but he was wrong because actually her real name was Javette Poliquet
0: Frenchman
1: she, well she was Lithuanian okay and so Poliquet is actually a feminine version of a surname that I just mentioned, which is Polykus.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: So her real name was Yvette Polykus. And her father was first cousins with Vito Polykus' father.
0: So there's a little incest going on there, too, right? Or no?
1: No, so her father and Vito Polika's father, actually I got that wrong. Vito Polika's father and Eva's Paul's father were first cousins. Okay. And so that would make Vito Polikas a cousin in law, right, of Winthrop Rockefeller.
0: Oh fuck. Okay. Damn dude. Interesting. That's was this was that stuff in the book or did you come across that stuff yourself?
1: So he did mention the um, the Lucas connection with the Rockefellers in the book. The stuff I found out about Vito was some stuff I looked into myself because his son being two years old and like all these mentions of being passed around at parties and like yeah. give, like they gave him LSD and he fell through the rooftop of the house to his death and like all that you can find if you look for it but it's just so messed up like they're all into the same stuff of course they're related right
0: do you think that that like all these big time actors and music musical acts and stuff like that do you think that they all go through this
1: i think there's some honest decent good people out there that are just wanting to make music
0: oh sure i'm saying like the high level like like the the all the big actors, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, the who's the Iron Man guy, um, you know all these different Robert like Downey. Robert Downey, you know he's got a weird past. It's more like drug drug use and stuff. But I mean, like those mega movie stars, not actors, but the movie stars. Do you think that those people all go through this shit? Like same they with all musical actors.
1: Pay the fiddler. I promise you, they you all think have so? to pay the fiddler to get to where they are. Because there's people like, you know, and I'm not plugging here, but there's people like my brother who has done music his whole life, writes his own song, performs all over Cleveland. And he's good enough, better than fucking, uh, you know, John Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas could barely sing, you know? Mm. So how did he get to this mega level? And there's really, really talented people out here who will never, ever reached that status and it's because we're normal and we're not involved in the circle.
0: Well you can plug your brother for the record but I mean I do th- <laughs> I I think that it is interesting because then you hear about like uh what is that like in the Garden of Eden song from uh The Doors I think right where isn't isn't that Jim Morrison where he's just fucking like stuttering and they, they ended up calling it something different you know what I'm talking about like the there's no real talent there like yeah they, you know Jim Morrison's a good looking dude but I mean, is that all that it takes? You just got to be like good looking and then like have satanic parents or something. You know, I, I don't know. It's just it seems like there's this reoccurring theme here and it's all for ritualistic purposes. And it seems that they do have military connections, especially back then.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you just mentioned Jim Morrison and his father was, you know, the general that, you know, the, the Tonkin Gulf incident guy. Ton- yeah. yeah. Got
0: us into Vietnam, right?
1: Right. Yes. His actions led to our immersion in literally one of the bloodiest illegal wars of all time.
0: Yeah, and there was a lot of really um You know what's interesting about the Vietnam War too is the soundtrack of that era. You know, like if you've seen fucking uh
1: Forrest Gump.
0: Forrest Gump for sure. Um full metal jacket. I mean, all these songs They transport you to a time, and even though they could be happy-sounding songs, they have a darkness to them. Even if, you know, as a kid, you might hear this, and you, you, you haven't even heard about the Vietnam War, but there's something about, I don't want to say the frequency, but just the tone of the music.
1: Actually, it triggers an emotion in people, even if it's kind of subtle, like Buffalo Springfield. The first time I ever heard that song, I was like, this is an amazing song. I hate to say it, but it is. And then I was like, I can't imagine what it was like back then, because it almost transports you, like you said. And you kind of feel the vibe just from whatever was going on during that time period.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I did make a mistake. It is not the Doors that sang that. It is this, uh, who the fuck is it? It's um, Iron Butterfly. Had you heard oh, of them?
1: I okay, I think I that that's um, The Doors went on the Ed Sullivan show super duper high and was like making a fool of themselves. And he said, You can sing anything, but don't sing Light My Fire. And he got up there and he was like, I'm singing like My Fire. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> like, it was just like, you know.
0: That's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's, there's just something about that time and, and the music, because there's a ton of good music there. And did you find any connections with the, the British invasion or whatever they call it, all of these like Tavistock-funded people?
1: Yes. and Are we is, moving
0: ahead, though? I don't want to move ahead.
1: No, I'm glad you brought it up. It's a good segue. Okay. Because the connection is the actress that I had told you about. Her name is Tuesday Weld. And she actually was in a lot of bad movies, like B-movies. The only good ones she ever did, I think she did one with Elvis called Wild in the Country. But she really has flown under the radar. And I did not know who this woman was. I had never heard her name before. And actually, Sean McCann sent me a message because of my Natalie Wood episode. And he said, if you're doing old Hollywood, you got to cover... Uh, Tuesday weld and I was like I've never heard of this person so I did some digging and basically she had developed weird clairvoyant gifts at a young age and she was descendant from this really old ancient druidic bloodline of witches and so as she began to get older they had said all right we're gonna use Tuesday weld and appoint her as a new high priestess. And her mission is going to be ushering in the counterculture movement of the 60s. Her best friends included the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and David Crosby from the Birds. They were always together. And she's actually referenced a ton in their songs. But it's hard to actually pick it out because you you think they're saying the day Tuesday, right? But they're it's a name it's her name so there's a lot of songs that's like tuesdays on the phone to me or the rolling stones had that really super big song called ruby tuesday and so they're referencing tuesday weld
0: Uh, uh, is that also like a reference to like mars like the god of war
1: i don't know if that's her real name but that's the name that she goes by is tuesday weld
0: hmm okay
1: so they, they're they appointing her as this high priestess. She's involved in the counterculture movement. And it's like you said, there's always got to be like some type of a sacrifice, right? To signal the ascension into the new era. So what signaled Tuesday's ascension was the plane crash that carried Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper to their deaths.
0: Wow. So that was her sacrifice, huh?
1: Mm. And it's like I said, it would be a perfect sacrifice if she's to usher in this new era of music because the big bopper, Buddy Holly, and Richie Valance all did do off like the, you know, cotton candy songs of the
0: bubblegum the- shit.
1: Yeah. And so they die in this tragic, horrific, horrendous plane crash. And then all of a sudden we have the doors, we have the birds. Have- so it's like the
0: death of that positive like you said bubblegum cotton candy bullshit to this like uh edgy uh you know fucking you know and and looking back it's not edgy now but at the time it was and and that was one thing that I know that I mentioned to you and I'm very very interested in this and since you've done such good research here so far I'd be really interested to see if you can find anything that is the same um, you know as far as like m k ultra goes and and all this weird you know culture creation out of Seattle in the nineties with the grunge music for sure I
1: love that.
0: there's got to be something there because not only i mean there was a ton of homelessness there, there was a ton of depression not not only because of the weather but like i mean one of the biggest sacrifices in music it seems is uh Kurt Cobain, right mm-hmm. I mean it's just the weirdest story. None of it really makes sense, Courtney. what's that girl's name courtney love
1: Courtney love That's what I was gonna say. She's definitely a key player in this with well, a, she's
0: been she's been fucked within her head mm. big time as a kid. I mean like I think that she like wrote about it a lot and stuff like it's it's very, very proven. There's a track record there. We'll wrap this episode up when we're done here with this song. I was gonna play like just a little bit of it. It's actually called "Inagada Navida." Like it's it's supposed to be like the guy got the lyrics in the Garden of Eden, but he was so fucked up on LSD, singing in a bathroom, I guess, and he was just mumbling the whole thing. So they changed the name of the song. <laughs> it's wild, and it just reminds me exactly of what you're saying. It's it recorded in that era, but yeah, continue with this. This is great.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, and if you have any questions, of course, jump in, but I know that we had mentioned Jack Nicholson a little bit mm-hmm. earlier. And Rubber, I just yeah. wanted to uh, I wanted to tell you like there's a lot of similarities actually, between Jack Nicholson and Ted Bundy.: Okay. And you could actually cut and paste Ted Bundy's bio minus the body count, into Jack Nicholson's bio. And there's a lot of similarities, but I won't get into all that right now. But one of the major ones is that he grew up thinking that his mother was his sister and raised by his grandmother. And it's supposedly that he was born at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York, but there is no such record of his birth there. No birth certificate whatsoever.
0: Of Nicholson's
1: Of Nicholson. And until 1954, after he was already a full-grown adult, he did not officially exist. No birth certificate, no record of his birth, and he has no clue who his father
0: was. (laughs) Okay, so are are you, like, maybe from a, like, super far out there perspective, are you maybe trying to claim that Ted Bundy and Jack Nicholson are the same person?
1: You said it, not me.
0: I like that a lot. That is very interesting, actually. Because he's
1: that's for you, Ryan.
0: <laughs> well, think about think about the movies that guy's been in, right? When was his first movie? Let's see, when, when Jack Nicholson's first movie was. Do you he know off the top? I,
1: I wanna say he was a rather very young man. It could have been around like uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something like that, around that time.
0: That's what I thought um one flew over the cuckoo's nest was in 1975
1: um easy rider was before that easy <laughs> rider was 1969
0: 69 good memory um okay and so when was bundy doing his killing
1: um he was doing his killing in the 60s and 70s
0: okay so right around the same time mm so what? how would you explain the prison footage of Bundy? Is that Maybe CGI? Yeah. Or an actor? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I'm not going to doubt it, are... though.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's just a theory, as everything is, and somebody can prove me wrong, that's fine. But it's definitely worth talking about.
0: Yeah, I'd never heard one person ever bring that up. Did uh, had you heard that brought up, or is this just something that you no, kind of like this?
1: Is, this is something I looked into because of his involvement with Jeremy K., the director of Easy Rider. In his, you know, obviously he was in the OTO and all this. And I go, Well, I know that there's been multiple people who have come out and said that Jack Nicholson would slip them drugs and rape them.
0: Well, think about the movies he's been in, right? He was the Joker in Batman uh in 1989 this is a really weird role it seems like the joker fucks with a lot of people Joaquin Phoenix was already kind of a broken man right his brother died uh River Phoenix right he died in uh Johnny Depp's club right Didn't, isn't that where yeah. he died the,
1: um, vapor room. the viper room sorry
0: yeah well and then Heath Ledger seemed to be like the most normal almost set of all these guys i'm sure that some shit went down with him and i'm sure he's no saint but i mean this guy kills himself supposedly over this role
1: well, um, I I actually have, do you wanna know what? What happened to Heath Ledger?
0: Sure. Why not? <laughs> Let's go.
1: And I uh, yeah, I just have to tell you because he was at Mary Kate Olson's house and okay. he received a phone call from Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson said, Hey, he Be careful with the role. Be careful with the role. It's gonna whatever. Yeah. And so I'm glad you know that part, but he was at Mary Kate Olson's house. He was given some bad drugs, went home and died. And the first phone call that was made was to Mary Kate Olson's bodyguard who came over and was at the apartment with Heath Ledger's corpse for upwards of four hours before the police were called.
0: Any so, any belief in what was going on there?
1: Oh, I, I think she maybe was tasked with killing him. Just like Janice Joplin. She had done drugs all of her life she was not going to OD easily but yet she dies of an OD just like Marilyn it's always a suicide OD
0: well who's giving Mary Kate Olsen bad drugs for her to take herself i mean her and her and ashley are like billionaires or they were billionaires right i don't know if they still are they're like yeah, they're I, definitely I elite think,
1: i don't i don't think it was meant for her to take i think maybe she was like hey i got that stuff you wanted and he came over and she was like here you go and then Mm -hmm. he went home and died obviously her bodyguard is called and then he goes over there and he spends hours with the corpse cleaning everything up and then the police are called
0: he's an interesting character too because in that movie isn't he playing the imaginarium what's that movie when he dies and then they switch to johnny depp
1: Oh, the magic something. I, I never watched that movie, but I know it's
0: fucking weird. It's a Freemason movie big time. Uh, but yeah, he's he's playing this weird esoteric movie and he dies in the middle of it. And then Johnny Depp assumes his role. So because it's already like halfway done, it's like a masterpiece of a movie. And then he's in the Patriot. He dies in the Patriot. He dies in a few movies. He plays a gay dude in Brokeback Mountain, right? He kind of plays these humiliating roles his whole life. I, I know that this is not related to Laurel Kenny, or maybe it is. But I mean, like, it's definitely like that culture uh, creation I, I aspect of it. I wonder what he was doing wrong this whole time. He's a great actor. It seems like, he, you know, like, why wouldn't they want him around?
1: I think he died near his 27th birthday. Heath maybe Ledger?
0: Like
1: he, he he had just turned 28, I think.
0: Uh, he was born in 79. He died in two thousand. Eight that's older than that,
1: I don't think so. I think he was twenty eight
0: okay. let me double check He ledger your... yeah twenty eight
1: yeah, so hmm. he could have just turned twenty eight maybe they got him right right before <laughs> like he's still part of the 27 club in a roundabout way just like janice joplin jim morrison and Jimi hendrix but that's another episode
0: as crazy it was that good of an actor at that age
1: oh i know i know but you know i was gonna say as we're talking about roles and movies and how this all goes back to the canyon um you know roman polanski was involved with jack nicholson and he made rosemary's baby which is all about giving birth to the antichrist. Yeah. And that movie just to tie it back with the canyon was filmed in the Dakota apartments where John Lennon was assassinated.
0: Very nice. Very and nice. And Jack Nicholson,
1: okay. you know, he he played <laughs> he played uh Jack in The Shining with Stanley Kubrick, who is also involved in Laurel Games. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How does this stuff happen?
1: I don't know, but that's why I feel like it's so relevant to talk about it, because everything that happened in the 60s has led up to the forming of our now satanic empire.
0: Yeah. Do you think that this stuff really started around World War II, or do you think it started further before that? Or let's wrap up with that idea of where you think this may have started. And we can kind of go back and forth on that a little bit because there's a lot of theories out there.
1: I think it started, you know, around the Tonkin Gulf incident when um, the war was really, you know, heating up. And, you know, by the end of, of, I think it was like 1965. Yeah, 1965, 200,000 American kids just out of high school were slogging through the fucking rice paddies of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of blood sacrifice there. There's a lot of power behind that movement. Enough, I would say, to start a whole counterculture.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like because after that, then you get the 80s. Yeah, you know, I've been really looking into this thing. There's this thing called the Pendulum Club, and they had a lot to do with like the Nazis and how they, you know, because the Nazis were culture creators too. They tapped into this idea that the German people love this dark, you know, dark art, right? Like dark uh, literature, and I, I use the word macabre in my episode. Like they they liked this dark shit because they were so oppressed by religion. So religion's almost like all the way over here to the right. And then there's some like, you know, sub subconscious uh, craving for like the darkness. And so then it swings over to the the left and you get the Nazis all the way over here on the left. And then after that, it goes all the way to where now we're so anti Nazi in this country that like we're kind of becoming Nazis like the 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 left has become like anti fascist so much that they're becoming fascist. If you have a fascist thought, you need to get canceled out, you know. So it's yeah. just the pendulum swinging back and forth. But this pendulum club, which is very hard to find information on them, um, you know, they, they were kind of tapping into this whole technology and they were using some occult knowledge to kind of get ahead of this and to try and like level out that pendulum and use it to their advantage. The societal pendulum, if you will, you know, it's, it's yeah. interesting. It seems like they knew about this way back then for sure.
1: They definitely knew about it. And I mean, for another episode, or actually, you know, just to give the listeners something to uh, look forward to, it's if you go and check out part one and part two of my episode on the Laurel Canyon, I will actually dive into a couple of uh, artists who were Germans. Okay, uh, actually, um, with the OSS, which was a precursor to the CIA. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of cool information there. So definitely check out the occult laurel canyon part one and two on the cosmic peach podcast
0: yeah well definitely i'll get you to plug all your stuff again and, and we can still bullshit a little bit here i wanted to show you this song that i was talking about because it's very
1: oh yeah it, yeah yeah
0: it's it's weird and um, again kim showed me this and i just thought it was something um you know it's a, it's a good song it's catchy but it really kind of captures that idea i think of uh you know, just yeah. drugged out fucking dark sounding music. Yeah. yeah. I'm finding I have one here with lyrics. Um, I guess the full version is 17 minutes long. We won't listen to that one. But we got the the three minute uh long one here with uh of course you got the tie dye behind it with uh with the lyrics here. So hopefully there's no ad. But give me a thumbs up if you can hear this. Garden of Eden. get the idea there just weird
1: i mean it's it's just i would rather put my head in the toilet and flush it a couple of times but it's just like this drowning like on and on the same lyrics over and over the repetition i bet you anything it's like some kind of a binaural beat to put you in a trance-like state it's all the same bullshit over and over again the lack of talent everything is just weird and what's funny is they actually use this fucking song in a scene in the coven American horror story season where she drains the soul out of somebody and it makes her young. again.
0: <laughs> of course they did. No. I mean, I think that the, that the guitar riffs are very, very good. I think that there's something to that and it, but it, 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 it gets a, an emotion out of you that I think um, it's harnessing something. I think, I don't know that yeah. just that whole, that whole era of music, it brings you back to that time. It brings you back to like that time where it's cool to be a piece of shit and fucking do acid. Not I'm not against hallucinogenics, but just take drugs, fuck the man, you know, all that stuff. And and so it's 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 interesting. I think that it's one of the most iconic eras of music, but um also one of the most like indoctrinating in the worst way possible. It's 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 like today if we had music that was just saying take the vaccine, uh, you know, sup- subscribe to Netflix. It's literally that shit. But it's the opposite way over there yeah. at that time.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, just for some homework for you, if you want to go check out Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones, knowing what you know now. The uh, song? Yeah. Okay. Check that out on your you know, free time, whenever. And I honestly
0: might have heard now. it. I've heard a lot of Rolling Stones. I like them yeah. a lot. And then, uh, I mean, dude, all their music is very interesting, right? I mean, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Paint It Black, uh, so many of their songs are it's very... For the devil. What's that?
1: Sympathy for the devil.
0: Oh, sure. I mean, like Jethro Tull too. I mean, there there the amount of artists that are out there obviously that's a different era, but like just the amount of artists that are out there that really are influenced by Satan, right? Lucifer, the light-bearer, the 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 choir master. It's fucking weird. And then like when people sit here and tell me that there's not an attack on Christianity, I'm like, dude, come on. Like it, it, I don't know
1: Are you familiar with the girl that got stabbed and stomped to death at a Rolling Stones concert while they were performing Sympathy for the Devil, just like the Travis Scott situation?
0: No, but that doesn't surprise me. There was a situation where Elvis was performing, I think. No, Michael Jackson was performing. um, And he froze and he was staying still for a long time. It was the opposite of what these other guys were doing. And I want to say like 200 people fainted when he was passed out. Like two hundred plus people fainted, and then quite a few of them died. It was like the most fatal concert of all time.
1: It's just so weird.
0: Yeah, they're 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 doing something. I don't know what, but they're they're tapping into something. It's a test of you know maybe something they can implement on like a larger scale. We all have these frequency giving things in our pockets. I've got two of them, unfortunately. But I mean, it's like you know if if you're susceptible to it, I think that it's going to affect you more. But I mean, all that it takes is them to flip a switch you know metaphorically and and everyone's getting fucking poisoned with with whatever they want to put out there so it's very interesting what you found though and I'm definitely going to um make sure that hopefully people will go and check out your work cuz just that little bit that I heard right there uh was fucking dope and i how how much time uh recorded do you have on those two episodes like obviously if people like the taste that you gave us here how much more content is over there at uh cosmic peach
1: Oh, I have like 30 more episodes posted for everyone to enjoy. Uh, I do solo and I do guests. So sometimes I feel like I can just hit it a little bit better if I do it on my own because nobody can do it better than I can.
0: <laughs> hey, that's what I say too. But no, um, I'm talking more specifically about this topic. Like if people like the taste okay, that you episode. gave us on the two episodes, yeah. how long is that together?
1: So the first one's about an hour and uh, 30 minutes, and the second episode's about an hour. Um, okay. So it's like two and a half hours worth of Laurel, con- uh, Laurel Canyon content. And then, you know, it's going to lead to probably another episode because oh. it, it always does. So like you find something and yeah. then it tangents, but yeah.
0: So realistically about an hour and a half or two hours more than what you gave here because you know i'm jumping in and fucking saying stuff so i mean you're getting a lot more deeper dive in what you're talking about over there with that it's wild i'm definitely going to check that out for sure because it's pretty fucking crazy what i just heard right here and it's tragic and it's sad but i mean we're not the ones doing this shit to these kids and mind mind washing you know all these people so um i think it's fascinating and good work for sure i definitely uh hope people will check you out uh let's plug your stuff and let's uh let's get people over to what you're doing and maybe uh you can tease any other work that you got coming up.
1: Yeah, um so I'm on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts, Cosmic Peach Podcast, and I'm on Instagram cosmic.peach.podcast and I usually throw some videos with some pictures and stuff from my episodes on Instagram so you can kind of see what I'm talking about in the episodes. Uh, which is cool because sometimes it just doesn't hit the same unless you see it for yourself. Sure. Uh, So, you know, we obviously did one on princess Diana, which is like one of my favorites. And uh, I also have some Da Vinci stuff I did with Ghost coming out. That's another two parter. That's going to be cool. And I also cover like paranormal, supernatural stuff. I love ghost stories and I, uh, would say I'm a jack of all trades whatever you like I got it for you
0: <laughs> Yeah it seems like you really like um obviously like you said you touch it all but you, you do the paranormal and then you like like every other white girl out there you like your murder mysteries
1: Yeah so, only if they're connected to to a conspiracy though Yeah
0: okay okay so yeah no that's I, that's definitely what I would recommend cuz the last one that I listened to that you pointed me in the direction of with with what you're doing was the Marilyn Monroe stuff And that was one of the best deep dives that I'd heard on that topic for sure. So um, I don't know if you know off the top of your head what episode that is, but that was a really good one. And I recommend people check that out too. Just go subscribe. Leave five-star reviews on Apple. Spotify does that shit now. Um, You know, Support the shows that you like, guys. But uh, Julie, I can't thank you enough for sharing this with me. Um, You're always so generous with your time and what you're willing to share. We got a little sneak peek of some stuff that, we're kind of time traveling with this episode because we're recording this before you're releasing that one. But then this one's coming out after you release that one. So it's like, I mean, the audience yes. doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So this is cool. <laughs> but no, I appreciate you so much uh, for sharing that with me. And uh, just look forward to to more of your work. You do an awesome job over there. Thank you. You bet. Take care, everybody. And go check out the Cosmic Peach podcast wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>